This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. Today's message is from the Book of Acts sermon series. In this series, we're diving deeper into how God has invited us into His mission, how the Holy Spirit was present at the beginning of the church and is active now, and how the local church is God's primary method to change the world. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message encourages you. It's great to see you guys this morning and today. We'll continue. Uh, The series kicked off last week out of the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, go over to the book of Acts. And so today what I really want to do is just give you guys some introductory material, big picture stuff, so that as we go through the summer in this book, you will have this big framework, kind of know some of the big picture. And so as we we talk about, whenever you're reading a, a book in the Bible, uh, whether just in your own devotional time or, 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 or in a series like this, you always want to start with, 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 a, with asking yourself, who wrote this book? And, and who wrote it? When did they write it? Who were they writing it to? And, and why, were, why was it written? And so we know a lot about this book, that uh, it is, is, you know, virtually universally agreed that this guy named Luke who was a traveling missionary companion of the Apostle Paul that wrote the book of Acts as a volume two to to his gospel, the gospel of Luke. So this physician traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Now he writes it to this guy, Theophilus. Now, some scholars, the word word, uh, Theophilus, it simply means lover of God. So some scholars believe that this is a generic term of of speaking to a a group of believers. It's more commonly believed that this is the name of of a Roman official, maybe a part of Caesar's household, but but, but, uh, a a wealthy Gentile official that, that, that Luke is writing to. So you say, well, who wrote it? This this guy, Luke, who was a traveling companion of of the Apostle Paul, physician, a a non, most believe a a, a Gentile. And who who, who wrote it? Who did they write it to? Why did they write it? And so Luke is giving us this historical narrative uh, of the early church and these missionary journeys. And then you ask, well, when did they write it? And so uh, most um, conservative scholars believe that Luke wrote the, uh, this book, his second volume, um, sometime before A.D. 64. You say, well, well why do we think that? Why, why do we think that, that uh, it was written sometime before A.D. 64? Uh, well, Luke was, was a, a historian here. He's, he's giving us history. He's very detail-oriented. He'd love to give details that would kind of give you an idea about when a thing happened and who was around and who was alive then. We see that both in Luke and in Acts. And so there's a handful of things that had they already occurred, Luke would have certainly included in the book of Acts. He, he doesn't mention the Apostle Paul's release from jail, approximately AD 61. He doesn't mention the big fire in Rome that uh, happened in AD, uh, around AD 64 that was then blamed on Christians by Nero. Nero said it was those Christians that started this fire. It led to an increase in persecution. He doesn't men- mention the death of the Apostle Paul that happened around AD 67. 
And he doesn't mention that the biggest event in, in, in the first century history for this part of the world, which was the fall of Jerusalem. For, for, for a, 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 um, as we look at, at church history, this would definitely have been mentioned. And so the fact that none of those events that happened towards the last half of the AD 60s, he mentions none of that stuff, which tells us this was very, very likely written sometime before the last half of the AD 60s, sometime before AD 60. And so I want today to share with you three key themes from the book of Acts that are really going to kind of um, uh, give us our framework of how we're going to approach this book this summer. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, go over to Acts chapter one and verse eight. We looked at this verse a little bit last week with Pastor Scott Camp, and, and so we, it is again this key verse in this theme verse for the book of Acts, Acts 1.8, Jesus, before he ascends, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of these big overarching themes of the book of Acts is that God has invited us into his mission that, that, that Jesus, when he, was, when he was on his earthly ministry, he said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so what, what Jesus has done now that, that he has ascended into heaven is he's sent his Holy Spirit, we'll talk about more in a minute, to empower us to continue his mission to seek and to save the lost. And so we see this theme that, that God has invited us into his mission, and it's important to remember that God is at work and that God is always at work wherever you are and wherever you aren't. God is at work. And that's, uh, I like that song we just sang, even when I don't see it, even when I don't see it, he's working. And even when I don't feel it, he's working. And so God is at work and he has invited us to join him. And so really this book of Acts is really this, this story of these people and empowered by the Holy Spirit continuing the ministry of Jesus. They've been invited into his work. And this part of this that we see and, and, and we see this really throughout the whole Bible, but we see clearly in the book of Acts, that God loves to use deeply flawed people to accomplish his perfect mission. How many of you are sitting next to somebody that that's good news for them? Look at someone and say, God can, God can use even you. God, God loves to use deeply flawed people. And so as we look at the book of Acts, the first few chapters are primarily centered on the apostle Peter and, and the leadership that came out of that first church in Jerusalem. And so Peter is the primary figure that we see leading the, this mission effort in these first few chapters, really centered in and around the church in Jerusalem. And, and Peter was a deeply flawed individual. And so we, we see his probably the biggest thing that, that he's famous for, his flaw, was, was obviously denying Jesus. And it's easy to say, well, that was sure. He was flawed before, you know, before Jesus died and before he received the Holy Spirit and power at Pentecost and all that. It's, but, but we see even later in, Paul, in, in Peter's ministry, the most prominent leader in the, the earliest church, 
We see he's still deeply flawed. We see this occasion in Galatians where the apostle Paul talks about having to rebuke Peter, who, who some, some would say he was the first pope. So we see Paul rebuking Peter because, for one of two things. Either he was practicing what we would call low-key racism or he was living in incredible fear of these other low-key racists, so he was pretending to, get, to agree with them. And so Paul just calls him out in front of everybody. He, he's a deeply flawed guy that, that God uses to, to, to be this huge instrument in the birthing of the early church. And so the first few chapters of the book of Acts, very much centered on Peter, very much centered on the church in Jerusalem. And, and then really the, the last greater than half of the book is really centered on the Apostle Paul. Again, somebody with a deeply flawed history. We're gonna, our first introduction to Paul, we'll see over the next couple of weeks. He, he's in the business of killing Christians. But then again, you say, well, hey, that was before he knew Jesus. I'm sure after he came to faith, he's, he's, an, he's an apostle. He met Jesus face to face. I'm sure he was really, really great after that. And I think in many ways he was. But we also see in the book of Acts that this, the apostle Paul struggled to get along relationally with the other missionaries. Found himself getting in fights with Christians. Anyone here ever got in a fight with a Christian? Anyone get in a fight with one on the way to church today? Claire and I have not driven to church together in about 20 years. Um, mostly because we have to get here different times and also because it's just almost never fun to ride with your family to church. Um, so, so what we see is this principle that, that God has invited us to join in his mission. The book Acts is this story of this. But then we see this truth that God loves to use deeply flawed people, and if he can use them, he can use us. He's invited us to join in his mission. I, Pastor Greg mentioned it earlier. I couldn't be more excited for our surge camp this week. We have well over 150 of you guys that are volunteering this week, and we're gonna have probably 275 kids here every, every day, and, and I couldn't be more excited. And what I want you guys to know is that by, by you guys uh, um, being here and, and being a part of that, what you're joining in with God's activity. You're joining in on God's mission. You're living this thing out. And I, I wanna share with you another opportunity. And I, I wasn't planning, this has not been a part of the master plan for this, today's message. I got an email this week um, from a guy named Chuck who, who leads a ministry here locally that, that I believe is, is maybe my favorite, probably is my favorite of all the parachurch ministries here in Northern Nevada. There's a handful of good ones, um, and we, uh, maybe there's more than a handful of good ones. Um, there's, there's a number of parachurch ministries I'm a fan of, and, uh, but this one is, in my opinion, the one that, that makes the biggest kingdom impact. Um, and and here, here's what they do. What the, uh, they, every week, they, they have like 15 of these 15 passenger vans. We helped them buy one a few years ago. They also have a bus, and they pick up all these inner city kids, many of them that, that live in those weekly motels, many of them having a, just a life experience very, very different than ours. And so they, they pick up these kids that, that many people have forgotten about, these, these poorest of the poor kids in our community. They pick them up every Friday, and, and they, they serve them a meal, 
and, and they play games with them. And, and then they teach them about Jesus, and out of this kind of form these mentoring relationships. I, was, uh, I met a guy the other day who was working at a store I was shopping at. He was one of the salesmen, and, he, and we began realizing we know some, some of the same people. And he says, you know, he says, you know I, I was a Pathfinder's kid. And he began to tell me about this lady that, that who's, who's been volunteering there with that ministry for 30 years. And he said, you know, really, she kind of became my mom. And, and really, I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for Pathfinders and the impact that, that this sweet lady had made in my life, and now he's thriving, and, and this and that. But So I got this email. So Chuck and I met for lunch a couple of months ago, and he said, Dave, since COVID, we've had the hardest time getting, getting volunteers um, just for our week-in, week-out ministry. I don't know if you have noticed, but things have been weird since COVID. Did you know? And, and he said, hey, would you some point this year uh, would you bring that up to the attention of the people at Life Church? And I said, sure, Chuck. We'll set up a time for you to come out and, and, and we'll talk about that. And, and we've just been looking for the right time to get that on the calendar. And, but then this week he sends me this email. And he says, and it's a title. Uh, I'm a big believer in make, the, make your subject line of your email clear. Otherwise, I'm not reading it. And so uh, he says, crisis at Pathfinders. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it. And, uh, and, he, and he went on to share. So each week, they, each summer, they take uh, as many of these kids as can go to summer camp. Like maybe you went as a kid, like this year, in addition to our day camp, we've got, we've got our, our junior high camp and our high school camp and our elementary camp where kids go away for the week and have the time of their lives. So they do that for these kids every year, these inner city kids who week in, week out, their life is more challenging than most of us can imagine. And so the, every summer, they take them away to summer camp, and it's all the cost is paid for, and, and this and that. And, and the camp they go to out in Elko, Cowboys Rest, normally, um, they, they, their, their staff of, of in-house counselors at the camp is sufficient enough to offset the, the sponsors, that, that the Pathfinders, that, that, that go with the Pathfinders kids, so that between those two groups, there's enough sponsors, there's enough counselors to, to help take care of these kids for the week. Well, Cowboys rest because of, as we all know, staffing challenges are terrible everywhere. So Cowboys rest is, is down, uh, you know, staff. They just have not been able to hire the staff because nobody wants to work anymore. And let's can't even buy a hamburger. And so uh, I thought that was funny to kind of off, but whatever. And so, uh, and so y'all are like, yeah, we can, it's terrible. And pray, pray for America. And then, uh, um, and so they can't get the staff they need at the Cowboys rest. So here's the bottom line. So Chuck sent me this email. He says, if we can't get seven, a combination uh, between men and lady volunteers, we need seven more. And uh, Otherwise, we're gonna have to tell half the kids that have already signed up and confirmed to go to camp, not this week, week after next. If we can't get seven more volunteers, men and women, um, then we're gonna I'm gonna have to start calling these, these kids and say, hey, I know you signed up for camp. I know you've been looking forward to it all summer. I know it's the best week of your whole entire year in a way that camp's the best week for any kid who lives a normal, pretty great middle-class life. But for these kids, it really is the, the change, the most different week of their whole year. And he said, I'm gonna have to start calling these kids and telling them they can't come if we can't get seven more volunteers. And by the way, I need to have them confirmed by what will be tomorrow night, Monday night, like 30 hours from tomorrow. And I said to Chuck, I said, I'm pretty sure the Life Church people will do it. 
And, and so, so we, there's a phone number. If you are at all interested, some of you may not be interested, but you might be interested in being interested. <laughs> June 20th to the 24th. Let me tell you a couple things. We so believe in this ministry, and we so, listen, here, I, I want you to know this. The vast majority of every homeless person you ever see, their trajectory was set as a child. The vast majority of every person in jail, their trajectory was meaningfully set as a child. Sure, they have personal responsibility, but, but when you change a child, that you, you, you can, it's so much easier to correct course with a seven, eight, nine-year-old than, than it is a 40, 45, 50-year-old. And so here's, we so believe in this. That's if some of, some of you have incredible amounts of flexibility. Some of you are, are retired or you're school teachers or you're business owners or you have your, your jobs super flexible since COVID where you can be pretending to work anywhere. And uh, <laughs> others of you are young adults that, that, that maybe you, if you don't work, you don't get paid. And so you're like, hey, I could probably get the time off, but I just wouldn't be able to be okay without, without a little paycheck. Or maybe simply you being gone is gonna mean you need to hire a babysitter for your kids for two or three days. So in anybody that, and I've not talked to anybody about this. I'm just making this up as I'm saying it. I've not talked to the elders or Pastor Scott. No one knows I'm saying this till now. But anybody that's, that, that goes to do that, if you incur expenses because of that, or lose income that you need because of that. We will offset that by, by up to $500, just as a church. We are gonna fill this need for them. And so you can go, you can call. I assume you can text it, but they said call. Um, that number by tomorrow at 5 p.m. How many of us believe that, that we're gonna fill that, that, that spot? That, um, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to live out the book of Acts, joining in with God's activity in the world. And so here's the next thing. Next, and so, uh, so over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at some of the characters, that, that the primary characters in the book of Acts that, that God uses to, to provide leadership in the early church season. Here's the second truth that we see in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit is an absolute game changer. The Holy Spirit is more prominently focused in the book of Acts than any other book in the Bible. And the book of Acts, there, depending on which translation you're reading, there are 56 references to the Holy Spirit. Out of, out of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are, are 68 chapters there. there that's more than Acts, there's only 28 chapters, so less than half as many chapters and there are only 34 references to the Holy Spirit in the Synoptic Gospels. And the combined chapters of Romans and 1 Corinthians, Paul's longest letters, um, we, we see only 45 references to the Holy Spirit out of 32 chapters. And all of John's literature, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we see a combined 28 chapters, the same number of chapters as is the book of Acts, and only 21 
references, roughly a third the number of references to the Holy Spirit we see in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, 28 chapters, on average, every twice in every chapter, we see a, a reference to the Holy Spirit. And so we see in Acts is that, is that the Holy Spirit changes everything. And that's really what, part of that message in Acts 1.8, in addition to Jesus saying, you're gonna be on mission with me. He's saying, I'm gonna equip you to be on mission with me when you're gonna receive power from the Holy Spirit. This, the Holy Spirit's gonna allow my life, the life of Jesus, to flow through you. And so we are going to over, um, in the, this series this summer, gonna take four or five weeks, and just focus on who is the Holy Spirit? How do we see him in the book of Acts? Where do we see him in some other, um, supplemented by other scriptures, but we're gonna just take four or five weeks, a series on the person and power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so um, we, uh, you know, this is what we see in Acts is, is living out what Jesus said would happen. In John 16, seven, Jesus talking to his disciples, he's talking to them about how he's gonna leave them. They're super confused. And he says, very rarely I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the counselor, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He makes that clear in the context. The advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine Jesus? Can you imagine hanging out with Jesus for three years? Living life every day with Jesus for three years, seeing everything that he did, hearing everything that he taught, every miracle he performed, and then witnessing the crucifixion and resurrection. Can, can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, it's gonna be better when I go. It's gonna be better when I'm not with you all the time because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit who's not just gonna be with you, he's going to be in you. You're not gonna watch me live this life. He's going to empower you to begin to live this life. And so what we see in the book of Acts is this promise that Jesus that made, this promise that it's better for him to go and to send his spirit to live in us than for him to actually stay. And here's the third thing and we're done. Third thing we see is that the local church is God's primary method to change the world. Acts is the story of the birth, the mission, and the impact for of the local church. And so we see the local church is born, Acts 2, 41. We'll dig deep in this passage later. It's maybe my favorite passage in the whole Bible. We see the snapshot of these brand new Christians. Those, those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people came to Christ in a day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which became our scripture, and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, taking communion, remembering Jesus' death in our place, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. This radical generosity, this incredible compassion, caring for the needy, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they loved to be together and received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. They were worshiping and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, what we see in the book of Acts is we see that these Christians 
We're, we're, we're living the life of Jesus as empowered by the Holy Spirit. These churches, like the church at Antioch, would send missionaries to other places. And then preachers preached, and some people got mad and rejected it and said, we don't like that, and we want to kill you now. And other people said, we, I'm going to base my whole entire life on that. Some people got mad and rejected. Some accepted. People were baptized and churches were started. And regular folks, empowered by the Holy Spirit, were, were living lives, really loving one another like the world had never seen. Across racial and ethnic and socioeconomic boundaries like the world had never seen. And they were serving the poor with incredible generosity. And they were sharing the gospel. And the miracle of this is that, and what we see beginning to happen in the book of Acts, is that without any economic power, these Christians were mostly poor. And without any political power, and without a, a battle ever being fought, or without a coup ever being mounted, or even an election that changed things, Without any of those things, no political power, no, milita no military power, no economic power, without any of those things, the Roman Empire was transformed in less than 300 years. It's, it's, an, it's, an, it's one of the absolute, apart from God and the gospel, it's one of the absolute most inexplicable things in all of human history. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, it had swept up millions of people in the Roman Empire. It swept up millions of people into a joy and peace they'd never known. It became the leading force in a Roman society that was falling apart. So that by the third century, the emperor had to acknowledge that this was a Christian society because it was the Christians and the Christians alone who were keeping the world together. Just these regular people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, loving God, loving one another, and living their life to make a difference, loving each other, serving the poor, sharing the good news of Jesus. You saw the most powerful empire the world had ever seen to that point, totally turned upside down from a bunch of poor Mostly poor, mostly uneducated people. It's an absolute miracle. And you say, well, that's, that sounds like a one-time thing. Stuff like that has never happened since then. And, and, and it may never have happened to the scale since then where the wicked emperor has to come to a realization that, that I, can, I, I can become a Christian or I'm gonna be totally irrelevant because the Christians are the one holding everything together. But, what, but let me just give you a brief history lesson of just the last 275 years. Some of y'all are like, oh, I wasn't looking for school today. Well, I'm sorry, you're already here? I got 10 more minutes. And so, uh, did you know that in the middle of the 18th century, the middle of the 1700s, and the early days of the Industrial Revolution, it was a time of the most rapid change and human history to this point, through most of human history, going back hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, so the change came at an incredibly slow pace. 
And, and, and there's been a handful of moments where, where the, the rate of change has accelerated rapidly in a short period of time. We've lived through one in the last 30, 40 years. But this was one of those first moments where everything that was known about everything just all began to change, this industrial revolution. And so in France and in, in Great Britain, there was this incredible tension as there was this widening gap between the rich and the poor, and there was all these social inequities, and it became very stressful, and, and it, be, it began to feel as though, though things were changing so fast, and there was so much tension that, that could society even be held together? Have you ever felt like that? Everything's changing so fast and everybody feels so different and on opposite sides and it feels so polarized. Is there any hope that we'll ever again be the United States of America? Those kinds of moments were happening overseas. And, and, and what happened in France is they had the French Revolution, which then led to see, seeing about a million people die. And what happened in, in the UK was this thing called the First Great Awakening. Where, where, where there was this moment where just some regular people, empowered by the Holy Spirit, began to live the life of Jesus in a fresh way. And, and the gospel began to go forth in power. And in, and, and in a few decades, about one in five people in the UK became new Christians. 20% of the population were converted in a period of, of, a, of just a few decades. And it, and it spread over here to the, to the early, to, to the colonies, the American colonies at the time. And so, and so the, like, people like the Wesleys and Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, there was this incredible renewal because Christians empowered by the Holy Spirit were living the life of Jesus, loving and serving the poor, sharing the gospel, and God breathed on that. This renewal moment came. It ended up leading in the UK. It's, it's, it's people that came out of that, that, uh, that movement that ended up leading towards the abolition of slavery in the UK. And, and it really was a very foundational thing and, and the whole uh, uh, mindset of our country prior to its founding. Some people think that the American Revolution may not have happened outside of this first great awakening. And then, and then you say, well, hey, well, that's, that's great. That sounds like another one-time thing. And then, and then about 40 or 50 years later, there was another thing that had a very original name, the second great awakening. Again, over in the UK, and then, but also very prominently fixed here. Did you know that if it wasn't for the first Great Awakening, that, that some of our, that Princeton never would have been founded. There were so many guys that, that felt called to be preachers, they had to start more preacher schools, which ended up becoming some of these Ivy League schools. That's the sort of, of, of systemic change came out of that, that first Great Awakening. The second Great Awakening, again, we see this kind of mass renewal, and, and we see that that shook the country. It was a major force in, in our country, ultimately ending slavery. See, what we see is these, this kind of renewal. God does this amazing thing. Christians really live the life of Jesus. Lots and lots of people become followers of Jesus. And, and then, and then a, a culture that previously was feeling like it was being ripped apart, and it seems Christians begin to be a part of bringing the healing and, and correcting the injustices and righting the, the wrongs and seeking to, 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 while we look forward to the kingdom coming in all of its fullness, Christians beginning to say, say, say even now on earth as it is in 
heaven. And you say, okay, well, that's great. That was a really long time ago. But then about 40 or 50 years later, it happened again. Over in Wales, this Welsh revival that transformed that country. And then about 500 miles from here, the, this, the, the whole, uh, the, this whole Azusa Street uh, awakening, and which we saw in, in California that, that spread across our country and was the birth of, of so many movements that have been powerful for the last 100, 120 years. And then we saw it again about 40 or 50 years later in the 1960s. Some of y'all are old enough to remember the Jesus movement. Anyone want to own it? You're old enough to remember the Jesus movement? Got some old folks here, and then I'm just kidding. And so, uh, um, but we had the, uh, the, the, the Jesus movement in the 60s, where again, you have this outpouring of God's Spirit, Christians living the life of Jesus, loving one another, caring for the vulnerable, sharing the gospel. Lots and lots and lots and lots of people coming to faith where the surrounding culture can't ignore it. The, 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 whole, the whole Jesus people thing was featured on Time magazine. It was undeniable, that, and out of that came, so came movements like Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard and the whole modern worship movement. And, and, and so what we see in the book of Acts is this, is this picture of what can happen that the church has got these, these, pre, these people would go and they would preach and some would reject, some would accept. Churches would be formed. They would begin to love each other, share the gospel, change a city. And then that's been God's chosen method ever since then, 2,000 years ago. And those same history-shaping moments where God uses people to, to transform society, not through war and not through intimidation and not even primarily through elections, but, but through hearts changing where, where, where that's, that's really the, the, the issue is hearts. Hearts begin to change and so then just society begins to heal and change. So we're gonna be doing four or five weeks on the, on the church and what's a church supposed to be about out of the book of Acts this summer. You know my favorite thing about this book, and we're done. Some of y'all are like, you promised to be done 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yep. Um, my favorite thing about this book, and we're done. My favorite thing about this book is it has a really lame ending. <laughs> you know, so much of Paul's stuff, he, he, he ends it with some like super great prayer and he's like, hey, and give a shout out to this person and tell this person to bring that jacket of mine and all these kind of shout outs that he, and he's praying this great prayer and the Lord bless you and this and that. And, and we see that in so many other writings uh, and we see that in, in, in other authors the same way, just in a really strong official ending. And I like the way Luke ends it, Acts 28. Uh, he says, therefore, I want you to know God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen for two whole years. Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness, without hindrance. There's no the end. There's like at the end of Revelation, John's like, hey, if anyone writes anything else on this, it's gonna be terrible for them. This book's over. There's no prayer, blessing, or shout out to any friends. It's just like, yeah, and he kept doing some stuff. And I think that's on purpose. The reason there's no strong ending to the book of Acts 
is because the idea is that we're still writing it. That Acts 29 and Acts 30 and Acts 31 and Acts 32, that the idea is that, 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 is that God is still moving and that he still invited us to join in on his mission. He's still empowering us by his spirit. He's still using churches on every continent to accomplish his purposes. And so we are, we are continuing to live out all of that. There's all these other chapters that were still to be written then that are being written now and will continue to be written until Jesus comes back. So I hope this summer we enjoy our study of Acts 1 through 28. But my grand hope for this summer is that we'd come out of it ready to live out Acts 29 and all the chapters to come. Let me pray for you. So Father, we thank you that you've invited us to join in your mission. Lord, I pray that you would speak to seven, eight, nine, ten life church people, maybe people that are 18 years old, maybe people that are 78 years old, everything in between, to say, you know what? I will take five days of my life to invest in precious little children whose lives have been more difficult than most of us can imagine to introduce them to the love of Jesus. Thank you for inviting us into your mission. Thank you for empowering us by your spirit. Thank you that we don't live this out alone, but that you've placed us together in your family, the local church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to catch more of this series and to hear more messages like this. You can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com.